Inappropriate Earl. We're back, back at our uh, regular pace now after the holidays. It's, it's hard to get people to come to my pad under the best of circumstances, but over the holiday season, it's pretty impossible. Uh, but we're back to doing one a week, maybe two if uh, you know a special guest pops up. Uh, I'm doing my best. Some good news today about the iTunes chart situation. Whoever got me, uh, your efforts were in vain because I'll be back on the charts sooner than later. And speaking of back on the charts, we have a guest today who was kind of on the podcast. It was a three guest episode. He spoke the least, uh, but he made uh, an impression on me where I wanted to have him back for his solo uh, appearance. A legendary comic, the great John Hastings what in the house. Is, what is up, everyone? Earl, I don't know how you can't get people into your pad. The kiss memorabilia alone, I want to just stare at every single poster. Well, and this is like the 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 high end stuff is upstairs in the bedroom. Oh, like that's where you, you really impress the chicks. Is where you, I assume have a signed rat denim jacket. I have a uh, any girl who said sex with me. I would say in the last ten years, uh, if they were on top of me, uh, they have stared into the mouth of a framed dual autograph. CD of Mark St. John, Ooh. who was the guitar player in the Kiss album Animalize, and uh, the great Vinnie Vincent. Ah, yes, the two forgotten guitar players of Kiss. Uh, uh, Vinnie Vincent, who now lives in Nashville and might be transitioning. I've heard some rumors. He's transitioned. Uh, by the way, quick oh, shout out to uh, my ex girlfriend, Gail Graham, like in chat, just chiming hi, in. Hi, Gail. This shows you there's no hard feelings between uh, me and Gail. Go to the Lost and Found tonight uh, and uh, have a brew uh, and tell Gail Earl sent you. Lost and Found on Barrington and I believe National. Oh, it's a bar. I was just like, the law. I was like, do you have a Lost and Found in this place as well? They do have a Lost and Found at the Lost and Found. <laughs> well, you would uh, have to. But yes. Uh, it's I, good to be back on the podcast, by the way. Because I don't think I mentioned this to you. The day I did that podcast, I did with Mike Ward and Pentelis. My, I had gotten the news that morning my grandfather had passed away and I was just like, I just needed to do something and we'd already arranged to do it. So I was a bit stunned and confused the entire time, but it was a nice sort of like, okay, let's just talk and swear and laugh and then go back to feeling sad. Well, I don't like having uh, three guests. I don't like having two guests on because it's just, uh, I prefer one-on-one -on -one like this. Uh, you have a good setup for this too because it does. it feels... It feels like I'm about to have an unqualified therapy session. Well, that's uh, the whole goal. I mean, I could do this upstairs in the uh, the Jersey room, uh, but I'm trying to be a little different. Uh, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. I've heard, yes. Um, this Mar Martha Stewart's about to start her seventh. Everyone. I mean, who... who uh, the broad on... Uh, I watched Celebrity Big Brother last night. Because we had an inappropriate Earl guest in the cast, Tom Green. Um, He's on Celebrity Big Brother? Yeah. Oh, God bless him. It's kind of a cool cast. It's, uh, let me see, Kato Kalen. Uh, what? This, uh, WWE broad. Uh, and the first thing she plugged was, oh, I have my podcast that keeps me busy. And it's like, wow. You know, 
So I try to be, uh, even though this is audio only, I try and be, uh, you know, for the guests visually, like mm. make them comfortable. A day. It's one of those things, man, Cato Kalen, it's the most fascinating thing that he is still in the public eye. Cause there are people that are in their twenties who would have no idea who Cato Kalen is. Like right now they're going, the guy who helped out the Green Hornet, which is a reference that's even right. The great Bruce Lee. The great, that would be Bruce Lee. No, Cato Kalen. For those you don't know, I think was OJ's friend. Well, he was really just. Uh, I think he was friends more with OJ's wife Nicole, and he just ended up sleeping in the guest house. And then uh, you know the night of the murder, uh, Cato said he heard a big bang. Which was probably OJ passing through the air conditioning. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that you know those big block. Air conditioners uh, behind the house, yeah. Uh, and, uh, of course, that's right where the bloody glove was found. Uh, you know, some people believe Mark Furman planted it. I myself do not, but... No, he... Well, here's the problem with the whole OJ trial, is that there was a cast of characters of on the prosecution side, Mark Furman being the biggest example, that were real pieces of garbage, but the problem was OJ still did it. He just happened to be... The detective involved have to also be a real piece of shit but a good detective like great detective horrible racist horrific racist it's like the old uh lawyer joke which is just because she's a prostitute why does that mean she has bad eyesight um um but it's one of those things where yeah horrible human being very good at being a detective and unfortunately oj got together the greatest group of lawyers the world has ever seen and really did a number on the old la prosecution I, uh, it's weird. I've been in LA for five months and I have this sort of odd immigrants love for the town right now. Like I just find the history of it so fascinating. It's such a new American city. Like you, I live in Koreatown. You just see places where you're like, why is there such new nice blocks? And then like these old decrepit buildings. And you're like, oh, that got burnt down in 92 that survived. Like, oh my, it's, it's still very new. It's very interesting. Well, downtown and Koreatown is a very interesting area because you've got the Staples Center you know, where the Lakers, mm-hmm. Kings, uh, and Clippers play. And so they really tried to spruce that neighborhood up, you know, Nokia Live. And, and it's really fascinating because I remember when it was just Staples Center and everything around there was parking lots, which was great. You go to the King game, which I would go to, and you could just park right across the street from Staples. Now it's all those parking lots have turned into uh, either uh, Nokia Live uh, all those restaurants mm. or uh, the, uh, not the Four Seasons, but the uh, Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like 10 major uh, lofts. Oh my God. It's, well, because what, you, how long have you lived in LA? I've lived in LA my whole life, 50 years. So I've seen it all. What would, like, it's, uh, first of all, the fact that you're 50, that's shocking. Congratulations on good genetics. Clean living. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. I need But to- it's not like... Uh, crazy clean living i mean i think you can uh i mean i've never had a drug or drink in my life uh it's very clean but you know i I do a lot of things that aren't probably good for me like consume massive amounts of energy drinks which probably worse for you than booze uh and uh, i you know eat late uh although it's healthy it's still not good to go to swingers after say the comedy store and but it's that is there's nothing better than just a big meal at three o'clock in the morning sometimes just, and people don't get our lifestyle like uh but you know it's draining doing stand-up and then all the socializing before mm. and after uh you're fucking hungry yeah and uh, so, and yeah i do the same thing like i try and not 
get 10 tuna melts in you know a month but sometimes you're just like we're gonna go to the 101 and i'm gonna get dirty with some coconut cream pie yeah i mean i try not to hit the desserts and stuff but like tonight uh, at the comedy store is a big night because it's roast battle and and you know roast battle do its thing and then after about one everyone goes to norm's and you know eats for two hours uh and it's just like everyone probably gets home at four or five in the morning and then goes right to bed after eating like you know diner food because i listen i haven't lived i didn't live in north america for six years and not having the diner is like it sounds ridiculous that this hasn't been replicated anywhere else but it is America does it the best. I don't know if this is interesting, but you, it is impossible to eat after 11 in most of mainland Europe. Like you, unless it's a kebab or like chips from a gas station, you're screwed. It's a nightmare, but yeah, you, so you never drank or did drugs, but you've been in LA 50 years. What, like, what is the biggest change that you've seen in 50 years? Uh, well, it's kind of sad, but like, uh, you know, like there's a place in LA called Westwood. Yeah, and uh, it's where UCLA is the campus of UCLA basically and when I was a kid like a teenager that was where you went to go see movies uh, you know uh. Star Wars Grease uh, you know all the 80s action movies Predator uh, and now it's like because of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and you know Direct TV which has 800 channels and uh, you know Westwood's are like a ghost town like there's like most of the major movie theaters are shut down except for i think two uh the one i went to as a kid uh and saw so just like so many great movies uh smoking the bandit and stuff like that is now whole foods uh you know the, do, they, do they do that really weird thing that whole foods sometimes does which is they try to preserve it as it's still being a movie theater but it's also a whole food <laughs> no they pretty much decimated the man cinema uh, uh and then the one uh like the the theater where I saw Beverly Hills Cop, and it was like a big deal back then because Eddie Murphy was like Eddie Murphy. Uh, it's a vacant lot. Fuck. Uh, and so many good movies I saw there. Uh, so that's been the biggest change. It's like just seeing the technology uh, advancements. Uh, there's no like I went to, and I I always hate talking about local businesses because someone listening in the UK or Canada won't quite get it but mm -hmm. if you've ever seen the uh tom petty video free Fallen, of course uh the mall where that was shot in is, it was called the west side pavilion mm. and google just bought the whole west side pavilion oh so it's gonna become oh it's already started it's it's still the mall it's a shell of a mall and there's like four stores open still <laughs> and it's like i went in there the other day not i didn't know any of this uh and in a major mall that's hundreds of thousands of square feet it was maybe 15 people in it and it was like sad like because i used to go there a lot as a kid and like it's just every store had the wires uh, in front of it shut down closed for you know thanks for your business uh so it's i think i guess to answer your question is the biggest change is there's not like you know great places to go to and, and with your friends to go see a movie or because yeah. you go watch netflix yeah it's one of, like i like i really like going to the vista but even the arc light which isn't that sort of old school movie house it's just a nice experience it doesn't capture that same sort of like old-timey hollywood feel 
I mean, they've, I mean, the Century City Mall is maybe uh, the closest thing. Because uh, basically, I like moved in here, and part of me thought like, oh, the malls are going to be like in Fast Times, right? No, no, and that's not there. Like that, I think that mall is still around, or there is a the Santa Monica Mall is still kicking, which is at the uh, the end of the Third Street Promenade, which is like a big outdoor mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's you know Westwood was around. Uh, you know, before the Beverly Center, before, uh, you know, Third Street Promenade. I mean, the Santa Monica Mall was there, but everyone went to Westwood. It was like the best place to pick up chicks and, and all That's that. Like, like, I remember being a teenager. That was the move is you would go outside of big buildings. Yeah. And try and kiss girls. And it never worked for us. And we, we spent hours of our life, because I'm from Ottawa, same place as Tom Green, if you... As we mentioned, on home of the senators, home of the Ottawa senators, the greatest garbage sports organization ever. True e- proof. Eugene Melnick, just sell the team. I want to shit on that guy's doorstep. I hate him. He does. I don't know. I feel like he lost a bet and feels that owning the senators is penance. For those of you who don't know, the Ottawa senators are the greatest underdogs in the history of sports, not because of lack of skill, but because they screw up more than any other team. They have pulled a goalie accidentally one time in the second period, famous uh, blunder of signaling from a coach. They have dropped the ball and shit the bed more times in the Stanley cup playoffs than any team ever on paper. They should, we Ottawa should have 11 Stanley cups. We have zero and we it's, Oh, it's depressing. Well, I think uh, I know in Melnick's situation, it's almost like when Jerry Buss, you know, he had the Lakers, the Showtime Lakers, mm. and I'm sure he could have just been happy with that. But he also had the Kings, uh, and they were up and down under his regime. Uh, and I'm sure it's a tax write-off for Melnick. Well, for Melnick, it's also he's um, a lot of his money is from tickets. So he what it is is that he actually wants to control the building the senators and he doesn't care about the senators but the thing is is that he this it was one of those things where the city and someone else in the nhl i believe wouldn't let him purchase what was then the Corel center if he didn't also take the senators so right. he's making his money from that being a giant venue because ottawa is this weird thing where it's a town of a million people but it's not really a million people and has a shitload of cities around it so it's where Kiss is going to play there for sure on the farewell tour and it's going to sell out and he's going to get to wet his beak off of a little cut of ever selling every single one of those tickets because he also owns the building and the ticket rights. You can't go through Ticketmaster. You go through Capital Tickets Corporation, which is a subsidiary of Eugene Melnick is a terrible man corp, I think. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, the the fees you pay for like a Ticketmaster and it's uh, prohibitive to go like my brother's 15 and we have never gone to a sporting event together because it's we could never afford it until we went and saw a college basketball game and it was great and i was like we missed out on because it's like it's not possible he's a canadians fan i'm a senators fan i would love to go take him and see our teams duke it out but it's like that's 300 bucks for not good seats at a certain point you're like well then i'm it's just not worth it we'll just go sit and watch it at home and it's like that's the fun of hockey live is amazing. You're seeing a bunch of people essentially just flying around the ice, nearly killing each other. And then people sing in the interim. It's fantastic. Well, I often equate hockey to seeing kiss live, like kiss musically. I don't think it's ever wowed anybody. No, 
Maybe in the 80s because they actually had some technically proficient Yeah, because Bruce was an amazing guitar oh, player. Oh, Bruce, Bruce Keogh, Vinnie Vinson, as crazy as he is. Uh, Mark St. John, even for the one album, he was, you know, he took guitar lessons from Randy Rhodes. So, like, he did had, he really? Yeah. Holy lordy. I mean, he's like such a mysterious figure in the 80s uh, metal world, and he's almost has like a folk like status with Kiss fans because he was literally only in Kiss for nine months. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, he had like something wrong with his hands, allegedly. And, um, you know, but that was in a real dark time for kiss where gene was off doing movies, movies. paul was it basically that's when it basically became paul's band yeah and then uh, mark st john you know he's passed away uh, a couple of years ago but i think he said he recorded the whole album essentially in the studio by himself so it's not like he was set up for success and then later on paul would be like he didn't play what i wanted him to it was like well you weren't there with him to tell him yeah that's uh, he was just going off of studio notes the engineer would give him and uh kiss is such a fast though we've started a lot of tangents but whatever i this is this podcast great i'm so fat i i want a tell-all book of it'll never happen because there's such a controlled narrative type of band but they are such a fat it's such a fascinating group and the decades and completely different musical styles that they have created and yet some fans have stuck with them and other fans have abandoned like for me um oh god damn it what's it called the the first kiss album of the 90s the last one where uh, well, was there was two well Han the not, shade was 89 90ish uh, uh, not Han the revenge shade, revenge is i think for me the best album they ever did which doesn't have ace or peter on it is so good so original so different and but there are people that know they they were shit when they did um uh like unmasked or whatever right. there's people that started in on them and only like the 80s band it's just fast and now they're doing this farewell tour and not really gonna they're not gonna have ace or peter and they're not gonna have bruce there either which i think is a real shame let alone Vinny or they can't have mark because he's dead well i know uh well they could hologram him I would actually like to see. Do you think would they just hologram him with the giant hand so he just takes a bow and Paul criticizes him for hitting a low E in a solo? Well, I don't know if he ever had that hand disease because a year later he was in a band called White Tiger, uh, which was a solo band. So it's like, well, how does this doesn't make sense? Like, do you think that that they. Gene and Paul just cooked that up as an excuse. I would, lo I love this shit. I hope so. I think he was just too flashy, which is crazy because that's what was selling at that point. Mm -hmm. was, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, from say eighty two to eighty eight, you know, the hot players were Jakey e. Lee and George Lynch and uh, Warren D Martini from Rat and uh, Robin Crosby uh, from Rat. Um, you know, uh, the Judas Priest duo. Warren uh, D Martini. Wasn't he in Poison? Isn't that Poison? No, that's CC Deville. That's CC Deville. Pardon me. But I think there's a famous, you know, Mark St. John played one and a half concerts with them live. Um, he didn't even get through a tour. No, he. They. I think uh, the, he did one full show with them. I believe in Binghamton, New York, and then he played a little bit of one. And Bruce Kulick had to come in and finish it. It's a great picture. It's very rare. If you're a Kiss fan, this will be cool. But if not, you'll be like, "What's the big deal?" But there is one picture of uh, Gene, Paul, Eric Carr, uh, Bruce Kulick, and Mark St. John on stage, uh, like doing the curtain call. Uh, but I think uh, Paul had mentioned that he looked over once in one of those live shows 
and Mark St. John is like throwing the guitar around his neck and like playing the solo to like Detroit Rock City with his teeth. And like, it's like, oh, this guy might not be the guy. But he was the guy. That's the guy. Because that's what was going on. And that's also your kiss. Like, that's what you, you want. Some, it's the it's such a fascinating band because you have these two giant personalities in Gene and Paul that are narcissistic in such different ways in that Gene wants you to know how much money he's made. <laughs> pardon me. And all the women he's fucked. And Paul sort of wants to be this sort of artist, but it's sort of actually kind of this Phil Spector figure of like, no, you're going to toe the line. Here's how it's going to go. And you kind of can't criticize them because how many bands have been around for 40 some odd years? Not the best musically, but if you're into rock and roll, everyone's going to go see Kiss at least once, if not two or three times. Yeah, I mean, I think Paul is the more serious musician. Like he wants, or at least he wants to be considered like, hey, we're, you know, Gene's a business guy. Do you uh, think it's funny that he's considers himself the more serious musician while he's drawing a star and putting lipstick on his face? Like, I mean, you know, I think, well, Gene, I think, could have been a, a very accomplished bass player, but he just got too into the money and the pussy. Absolutely. You know, uh, I mean, if you look at some of those early Kiss albums, there were some grooving bass tunes. Uh, I think Paul's probably sick. I can only imagine the hatred Gene and Paul must have toward each other. For, I mean, it's impressive they've lasted almost 50 years. Well, it's and again, it probably comes down to they know they need each other. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, it's also one of those things where they probably also like being in that band and neither one of them wants to leave. So they're stuck with each other. I mean, I just, not to drag myself into the conversation. Drag away, baby. But I mean, I, in the four years I was in roast battle, I left three times just because I couldn't, I didn't like some of the people involved in the show. Mm. I can't imagine working in a someone or a band for 45 to 50 years i can imagine the animosity oh uh, but you know they do somewhat need each other uh i know gene does a solo band which my friend drums in mm -hmm. uh and it's great because he does songs that normally kiss wouldn't do so he's doing like plaster caster he's yeah he's doing like going blind plaster caster uh charisma that uh, song from the elder the world without heroes where he cries at the end of the of video of course uh Ladies, I think, if you ever want to be by the way be disappointed by kiss you pop on music from the elder you and and remember no cocaine they were sober when making that album well, I don't think the producer, Bob Ezrin, uh, subscribed to the no cocaine No, yeah, that is correct. Bob Ezrin was doing enough cocaine for most of Hollywood at that time. Um, but, I mean, I kind of like The Elder because it was, uh, you know, I think Kiss got into this thing really from 79 to, say, 80, probably 80, probably till Revenge, where they wanted to be what was hot at that time. Mm. And I think, you know, Unmasked was a great Cars album. Yeah keyboards backing vocals which kiss has never used uh and then uh, the elder was like this is our pink floyd's the wall because uh, you know people don't there was a whole thing planned if that album hit oh yeah uh, they were gonna make that was supposed to be the soundtrack to a movie that they were gonna make called the elder which was gonna star the kid now this is really going deep but it's one of my favorite childhood movies the lead in the kiss elder movie was going to be chris Makepeace who uh he was rudy and meatballs shut the fuck up but 
more impressive to me because this movie just, I was bullied in grade school, high school. Uh, he was also the lead in My Bodyguard. Oh, I don't, I've never even heard of My Bodyguard. Great. It's, it's, it still stands up. You know, some 80s movies don't necessarily stand up. Absolutely. It's in the same way most, most 90s. And I can't wait to see what happens with some of those, yeah, you know, m- movies of now. Uh, but it, My Bodyguard, basically, this rich kid goes to an inner city. I think it's Chicago uh, high school and Matt Dillon is the school bully and he stands up to Matt Dillon and Matt Dillon just bullies him and bullies him. And he pays Adam Baldwin, who, if you know anything about, uh, I guess you'd say he's a character actor. Uh, He's at the time, this hulking teenager. Uh, He pays him to be his bodyguard. Holy shit. And uh, so that's where I'm a, more of a Chris Makepeace fan than Meatballs. But uh, Chris Makepeace was supposed to be the kid and the elder. And there was like, I think there was, I want to say there was almost as many as three albums planned for this opus. And of course, the elder bombed. They didn't even tour America for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was when Kiss went into its very dark period where that Creature of the Night, which is another ripper kind of return to form album, was number like charted in Italy only. Like, well, it didn't do very well, but it's probably their best overall album, maybe. Uh, you know, uh, but it just, Kiss was dead. Like, you know, in 83, you had the, like, Iron Maiden and Judas Priest really kicking in, and Kiss just, uh, but they would still go to, like, Rio and Argentina and all these uh, weird South America places and literally play 200,000 people concerts. Yeah, because they, you know, they know how to rock in Brazil. It's the interesting thing about metal is that it goes through this weird vogue period in North America. Like, I am a massive Judas Priest fan. Like, I like Iron Maiden, but I've always said I don't understand why Iron Maiden has Judas Priest's career because Iron Maiden, it feels a bit hokey and it feels... I don't know. I don't feel like they... They like UFO, but they don't love Black Sabbath. And But Judas Priest is like... They're the fucking shit. And it's only now, only their last album has really catapulted them back and people are starting to really recognize them as that band deserves to be headlining metal festivals and should be going and playing those 100,000 seaters in Brazil. And it's just interesting what who sort of gets to be the vanguard of certain types of music. And the same thing can be said in comedy of like, we're in a place right now where there isn't really like that defining comedic person that defines stand-up of right now. Like Louis CK was very much the stand-up voice of goodbye the, of, you know, 2004 to 2012. And he's jacked his way out of that role. Uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, it's just a different era now. Like one tweet can take down anyone. I mean, look at Roseanne, one tweet, bam, you're done you're done forever uh you know started i guess with michael richards you know like yeah michael richards was the sort of first one and he, but even michael richards came back like he was in the seinfeld reunion on curb your enthusiasm and they had jb smooth making a lot of pretty hilarious jokes about being afraid of michael richards and stuff like that like it's i still think that everyone's gonna come. like louis ck is back he won't be to the level that he's is but like he's touring people are gonna go see him yeah oh i mean it's like when you i don't want to get into politics too much but like you see people standing behind trump women for trump yeah Uh, it's crazy to me that you would uh i I mean after the grabbing by the pussy tape you'd think no woman in their right mind would say that's my guy that's uh but uh you know 
it was i was in la when that broke i was in and i remember my friend was explaining told me and i and i literally thought she was making it up i was like you're there's no way and she was like 100 percent. and i remember i googled it and i was like holy fuck yeah it's crazy that uh and it's all like i don't know this not to talk about politics too much but i'm doing a bunch of traveling next week including the soho theater in london that's the 8th and 9th and 7 30 tickets sadly still available um how can people get tickets if you go to soho theater.com uh, if you go out to my instagram account at the john hastings uh, at the john hastings on any social media the link is right there purchase tickets it's the best hour of stand-up i've ever done a lot of good reviews it's very funny please pop along see john yeah. i don't you know uh, i got some uk listeners yeah they'll come along and if not them. if you're in la just buy tickets like i don't care if you're not there I would just like your money. No one's going to notice if like 10 people don't show up. That's great. Just still, you know, support the cause. I mean, John's honest. You got to give him that. Yeah, that's I've never. But imagine how much better stand up would be if the, the late show was empty, but still sold out. I think stand up comedy would be better. Just people were just honest. What do you mean? Uh, like just in comics general. like, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, let's unpack that. I, I, what do you make honest on stage? We're honest, like within the 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 backstage. Both. Uh, like I got a lot of comics coming up to me when I uh, spoke out about my uh, perceived mistreatment by roast battle. Uh, they're like, dude, we love how you're sticking up for all of us, which I really was. Mm. I mean, yes, I was being selfish and sticking up for myself at first. But it's also like if, if you don't have representation or a manager or an agent in this business, you'll get walked on. Um, and I experienced that. So I spoke out about it. And, uh, you know, in, in a small part, I was doing it for open micers who were on the show. And, and you know, just go, hey, you got to say at some point, what's in it for me or why other people being taken care of and I'm not? Uh, or you'll just get you know shit on yeah. so uh i don't take back anything i said or did what's also the interesting thing is that stand-up is so it's annoyingly tribal and no one helps out new people no one goes hey this booker is like this so here's how you want to approach it or listen yeah you've heard like this like essential lie of that this guy made it in two years here's the actual fact that guy was a kid actor he's been performing for 14 years that's how he catapulted to the top. Like, cause I feel like there's all this pressure put on people, especially starting comedy of like, you need this, you need this, you need this. And it's like, just get good for a minute. There is no direct path in any form of show business, stand up especially. So just do what feels right and don't worry about the business and the politics of it. But right now it just seems like everyone is just so obsessed with like, it's like this and like that and there's this and if you don't do it like this in four years you're gonna be in huge trouble it's like fuck it just find your own way and don't worry about that sort of shit well i mean in some sense you can't worry about what other people are getting uh but uh, you know you can get motivation from it like mm -hmm. you know brendan schaub who's a very famous ufc fighter uh, he just filmed a special uh, i think it's gonna be on showtime and, uh, you know, some people are like, how does this guy get a special after two years of comedy? It's like, well, don't worry about him. Yeah. You know, you're not a, competing with Brendan Schwab. 
He's a famous UFC fighter who has a, ma- a built-in fan base from his decades plus of fighting. So uh, although he may be newer to comedy, he spent the last 10 to 12 years building up a fan base. Mm-hmm. And so, also, if he is an eloquent speaker and has some stuff to talk about, that is an interesting hour to listen to of, I was a guy who walked into a steel cage and punch the fuck out of people. They, you know what? I'll give that a, a look, see, Lou. Yeah, I mean, uh, so instead of worrying about why did he get it, come up with a way to, oh. you know, market yourself. Uh, you know, either through a, a podcast idea or a, write a script or you know do it. You know, it's never been easier to make it now with YouTube and well, not Vine, but like stuff like Vine and Periscope. I mean, that's how Roast Battle made it was Periscope. Was that what it was? Yeah. Nobody, no industry, uh, a lot of industry came to watch Roast Battle, and you could just tell the looks on their faces. It was like, no one's going to watch two open micers or two unknown comics do inside jokes about who they fucked, and look how wrong they were. Mm. So, uh, you know, but that's the hard thing is also it's never been easier to make it. Yeah, it's also it's you it's also no one really knows what's going to make it right. Like if you could have told the Fire Festival debacle that happened however many years ago, 2 years ago, if you said right there, "Oh, by the way, they're going to make two documentaries about it and all oh, that's all anyone's going to talk about for going on a week now." You would have been like, "That's crazy. The story is 2 minutes long, but it's sort of like anything is also interesting, but also Nothing is kind of interesting at the same time. So it's just, I think you just have to go, you know, stay in your lane, be true to yourself, talk about the stuff that you want to talk about. Like, yeah, I mean, like, like you said, I mean, Brendan Schaub could sit there and talk about fighting one of the Nogueira brothers, legendary Brazilian yeah. uh, heavyweights. I can't talk about that. You can't talk about no. it. Uh, and, and people now, because information is thrown at us so often, the truth has a quality to it. Going back to what you're saying about honesty, that you know something that not necessarily lie, but something that is replicated or exaggerated doesn't, and you can really detect it. So it's like, oh yeah, no, he would know what it's like, what this feels like. The fear is if we watch Brendan Schwab's hour together and he's just doing an hour of pussy jokes, I would be a bit let down. Like I'd be like, no man, you've got an angle. Like I wouldn't saw Mick Foley, the wrestler, live. Yeah. And my buddy Brendan was opening for him for a bit and he had to tell him like, no, don't try and be a standup. You have to tell jokes about being a wrestler. You're a wrestler. That's, that's your hook. Your hook isn't, oh, I got thrown off a steel cage. Have you ever noticed shoes? Sometimes they're squeaky on a well-mopped floor. It's like, hey, um, uh, I don't have a fucking ear. Here's what occurred with that little story. Like that's right. You got to know your angle. And it's also stand-ups get really like we're brotherhood, the freedom of speech warriors. And it's like, we're talking like we're not freedom of speech warriors. Like we're people telling jokes. It's there's once in a generation, there's a great political mind, but I feel that also this pressure to be like the truth tellers sometimes gets really conflated and annoys the shit out of me. I mean, I think, uh, I don't look at myself as a, a social justice warrior for the the good of other comics but i think the problem with some of these comics who get in trouble is the joke's not funny that's exactly right is funny will win out and get you through it's just you my girlfriend went to a uh a 
she's a sketch comedian and a writer and she went to a workshop with someone specifically it was about um sort of writing comedy in this new age and someone made a point and i have a horrible memory so i'm probably misremembering parts of it but the essential idea was you have to remember that you have to write from your perspective but also know to tackle really complex dangerous hot button topics you need to be a like triple dan black belt warrior of knowing exactly how you're approaching it perfectly to make as many people as humanly possible laugh at that premise and if you if you can't do that then don't do it because you're going to miss the mark and i agree there's a lot of times where you just go that's just not a funny joke that was the issue why did you talk about it and why didn't someone go it wasn't that funny don't don't do that joke well i think like like i think i forget the joke but daniel tosh had a rape joke i think at the laugh factory maybe like three or four years ago oh man i know exactly what you're talking about he's a great comic Uh, he's a great comic that by the way get ready to feel crazy old that was probably nine years ago yeah i mean i know i mean i'm dating myself for sure but But i remember it absolutely yeah yeah yeah. i think the controversy really was at least the comics was well the joke's just not that funny Funny. yeah uh if you know like i i'll be honest with you i think the louis ck joke uh like i get what he was going for uh and, and you know like there is that image of you know some skinny kid pushing the fat kid in the way mm. uh but you know it just it might I, have been too soon i didn't listen to the joke what was it like i just it's something of uh with the parklands shooting that you know those kids really weren't here i'm not this is not the joke but it's the premise is something along mm. the lines of is a kid really a hero because he pushed a fat kid in the way of the shooter uh you know it, it that's not the joke but it that kind of similar premise uh you know it's just like that's a that's a tough one yeah that's a bit like that's again someone i'm sure can find an angle on it and nail it but if you can't just don't do it but i get what the the joke is like there's that image of that just tubby kid yeah you can't get out of the way and you push him and uh you know we probably all have a 9-11 joke most are bad but you know there are a few Mine was great. Involved the the ultimate warrior. It was a great time. Oh, it's tear down the cockpit doors. That's exactly what it was. Is I would just do that entire promo and talk about how he predicted nine eleven a solid decade beforehand. Dispose of the pilots. And Lordy made the ultimate sacrifice. <laughs> oh, I mean, it really was frightening. Uh, you know, I have a nine eleven joke that almost is, has a ninety nine point nine percent hit rate. Then that's a that's a quality bit, by the way. But if it bombs, it'd be like, well, it's not the subject that's the problem. It's the joke's just not that funny. Yeah, you know, but the, it's also but sometimes there's also and this is removing it. From, there's also also sometimes where I'm a big fan of. It's usually the comedian's fault if it's not going well. But yes. there's also sometimes like, no, the audience are shitheads. Sometimes they are shitheads and aren't on board and are just rude and have decided not to like something. And in those situations, you just need to be aware, okay, I'm going to not do some of the spicier meat and balls uh, that I got coming up because it's just going to give someone an excuse in the moment to say something rude or talk about something rude. And then you're just in trouble because my like it's just crazy and also by the way i think is going to create a scenario where we're going to get some really controversial crap comedians coming out 
and kind of being the, you know, not to say that Sam Kinison was shit, but that Sam Kinison answer to the feminism of the 80s will be answered in a figure like Sam Kinison rising. And I think that that's going to happen at some point. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we all have a like a the hot topic today is the Me Too and Time's mm. Up and R. Kelly. Uh, Did you watch that documentary? That was six hours. I watched it uh, with uh, a great interest and uh, I want a scumbag. But there's like, jokes in there, like as crazy as it is and it's a horrible like uh did you watch it i I watched i could not stop watching it all the only and i of course we're both comedians so like assholes were i literally was sat there with a notepad being like absolutely let's see if i can get it and the only thing i can get out of it is john legend deserves that only john legend is the only contemporary musician and he's in it within 30 seconds it's just like he's essentially every talking point is fuck r kelly and he was the only one that would sit down. It's like, fuck yeah, John Legend. But to me, it was a little late to the party for John Legend. It's like, dude, everyone knew. Everyone knew, but he, think about it. They because the I went and looked it up. The producers approached Lady Gaga, Jay Z, Beyonce, everyone, and they all got not even knows, but a few of them got like, uh, I will not be associated with this project. I'm not acknowledging it. Like not cease and desist, but some sort of legalese letter. Because a lot of people in the industry have yet, to, like Lady Gaga, John Legend. Who else has actually come out and gone, "Fuck this guy," right? Like not even Kanye. And you know Kanye wants to say something crazy about it. Who knows what he's going to say? But it's like, it's bizarre. Yeah. What did you think of it? And I mean, uh, it's the parents. It's like, what? Like, we're all fame whores. You and I are fame whores. We want fame, of course. Uh, but like if i had a daughter and uh there was a known um, i don't know if you'd call him a pedophile or maybe you would uh i wouldn't let them go over to this guy's studio or home and and like that one couple that like let their daughter go to a hotel to meet that was them. fucking insane it's like what are you guys thinking like what do you think's gonna happen there uh, and then they act like with great shock that uh, they found, I think they found her text and he was fucking her at that hotel. It's like, well, then you're almost as guilty as he is. It's this weird thing is I've never been a parent. I don't know what that struggle is like at the same time. Like I remember I went to like when I went and saw kiss when I was 14, me and my buddies, my mom drove us and literally they had a parent's room where she sat because you didn't want to see kiss she read a book and we had to meet her at that time and there was secure like there are implements in place to protect and even if your daughter runs away like you lock the door and be like you can't go near he's a man in his 50s he's an illiterate man in his 50s who seems to be showing a great interest in you just because he says he can sing he like and it's because also people don't know about show business r kelly can't make you successful clive davis can make you successful R. Kelly can make one phone call to an A&R guy who will go, yeah, maybe, but probably not. And it's just like, yeah, it's just a fucking shame. Yeah. So, but of course we're both uh, comics. I had my, you know, I write on my iPad. Uh, I had the iPad in my lap for the whole six hours. Going, mm -hmm. What's funny about this? And uh, obviously it's a horrible subject, but there's jokes to be made. Yeah. Like I, I my only thing is like John Legend. I also like, it's also just fucked like that he's gotten away with it for this like this long like i do think if like you are like you know another celebrity who's done some shit 
you know, there's a variety of people that have talked on like Opie and Anthony had a dearth of comedians airing their dirty laundry. And I feel like some of them probably are sitting there being like, when the fuck are they going to look that up? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, comics. Like, I think the problem in our world is, I mean, I know of so many comics, at least five or six with, uh, let's just say checkered uh, situations in their past, but they're not big enough to take down. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, so this guy uh, did this to someone uh, who cares? Oh, they're on a sitcom now. Let's go after them. Yeah, there was this like I was having this discussion because of there was a guy in the UK who pulled some really fucking disgusting shit, and a friend of mine was like, "Why the fuck hasn't this guy been outed and shouted?" And I literally had to say, "I think it's because he's not famous enough to write an article about right now." So let's just pray to God that ooh. Um, for those of you that can't see, because it's a audio only, Earl has just gotten some sort of cookie sandwich. I think that is. I'm uh, diabetic, so I'm low glycemic. Ah, I must uh, feed my insulin levels to uh, normal standards. Actually, I can't lie to you, John. Um, uh, are you gl- di- diabetic? No, I'm just- I a hundred percent bought that, but because when you said glycemic, I was like, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, my dad was a diabetic, so I know. The okay, terms. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a good scam. So I was hoping to ask you a long-winded question so I could eat on the DL. Hey, it was fine. I had to out it because you were very slick too, because you couldn't even detect the microphone drop or anything. I was just taught, and then you were over there. And you were back. Anyway, the guy in the UK, piece of shit. Buddy of mine was railing in a classic sort of three in the morning WhatsApp conversation. He was like, what the fuck? And I'm like, I don't think he's he's big enough to fucking shout out. But I was like, what we can do is his name is brought up in the right circles. Boom. Here's the story. So it does not. It slowly, hopefully grows. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, uh you know, I don't think people realize uh, how much behind the scenes conversations take place on a daily basis. Uh, you know, so uh, I find that uh, ultimately justice will be served to anyone who's a real piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, some, but you know, sometimes no. I mean, I've seen firsthand uh, bad uh, people. I don't mean bad comics, but just bad people get great things. Yeah. But it's also, I always think it's occasionally because I've seen the, like, you see the other side of, like, some people are like, oh, they come from this family, never had to work. And then you like, you listen, I know that family. You, you, you'd you rather a job and not have to be related to those people or be in that dynamic, that sort of situation where it's like, no, the, I always think, no, justice finds a way. Karma is, re, like, what goes around fucking comes around. I believe it, but then you see... Uh you know, without mentioning names, uh, big name uh, actors who have situations um, pop up where they get fired from a TV show or a movie, they go into stand-up and they will headline over you and me 100% of the time. Absolutely, but it's also one of those things where to them, imagine how, and I don't think that they, the people, I'm not mentioning names, but those people, yeah, they, they to them they have something that we've wanted because, you know, this is the world that we've been in for however many years. But to them, they, you know, moving and shaking, they're in a tr- trailer. Very good. Uh, I'm not going to mention what Earl just did, but let me just say it was scandalous. Um, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll break the rules. Uh, by the way, a Celsius energy drink. If you're uh, watching, uh, I drink a Celsius cola. 
Ooh. Uh, if you, I pay for it, but if you guys want to hook daddy up with some merch and some cash, let's talk. Also, would you just do it for a life supply of Celsius Cola? It's possible. I would like some money. <laughs> well, 50 bucks and a life supply of Celsius Cola. Well, I think I get enough downloads on this where, you know, a couple hundred bucks plus, you know, unlimited plugs on Instagram and Twitter and, you know, See, whatnot. that's a good angle. Unlimited plugs because they'll go, you know what? That actually kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, uh, and I use I actually drink it like uh, I've never heard of Celsius Cola in my life until now. And you're and by the way, Celsius Cola, I see the look of enjoyment on his face. It's so good. I'll be purchasing it on the way home. That's the whole thing. And and I actually endorse it. You know, you listen to a lot of podcasts uh, and you hear, you know, there's no way. Yeah, there's no way that they use Doug that Stan hopes using true car. Right. Or Doug Stanhope has <laughs> uh, got a uh, Planet Fitness membership. You know, Doug burns the midnight oil. Is Yeah. Is, wait, is Planet Fitness now sponsoring podcasts? No, I mean, I was just I know, using that as like uh, an example. Like you watch Rogan's podcast, every product he has a commercial for, you know he uses, whether it be a, a, a cannabis product, mm -hmm. a, a, a pen you can, you know, use your cannabis for, or, you know, oils or vitamins or. A fleshlight? That's how long I've been listening to that podcast. I don't podcast. know if he, uh, I would have Fleshlight as a sponsor. Yeah, they were, the, they were the sponsor of the Joe Rogan experience for years. Like he, every episode, Fleshlight, 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 Fleshlight. Well, I mean, at some point you want to make money in this business. Yeah. It's not why I do the podcast, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, I don't know like to get a couple bucks absolutely also it's one of those things and also what is that was amazing Sorry, i have all apple products and unfortunately i have the same problem now i'm clueless uh, mine is also all synced up for the first time by accident so now i have that same problem where i'll be talking and someone will text me and it's like the church bells have gone off in my apartment um back to pocket podcasting sponsorship is the best thing especially for celsius cola here's something to consider that the amount of times that you have stopped paying the person, but you're on all the back episodes. Like I was listening to an old Joe Rogan and he was talking about the fleshlight. I'm like, fleshlight stopped paying four years ago. They're still getting cash and they're still getting the advertising in 2018. It's a billboard for life. Well, and selfishly, uh, I think, uh, you know, my fans, uh, are weirdly even though i'm 50 i have a younger fan base your fans have a name uh well some uh fans have called themselves the earl of maniacs love it um but they're younger so young people drink uh rockstar monster celsius whatever um I do like a nice sugar-free monster every once in a while it's a real monster uh i like their orange drink but the others are a little too medicine-y for my taste see i because i still i use energy drinks as they were meant to be used which is it's 12 30 and you have to do stand up and you for some reason got up at eight in the morning because you have sleeping disorders and you need to pretend that you're awake so a nice i like the medicine-y taste because it also stops me from having like four in a day and i would oh my god i mean i probably need to cut back i mean this is my third celsius today uh but uh you know i also won't 
go to sleep tonight, you know, at the comedy store tonight. I won't go to sleep till probably, uh, you know, three or four in the morning. So by the time the caffeine leaves my body, I crash and I sleep yeah. like a baby. I used to, I was very briefly a writer for a morning zoo radio show in Montreal. And I had to get there sometimes at one in the morning to write, get all the newspapers, like clips, edit songs, all that sort of stuff to start the show at five, to have meeting at five, start the show at five 30. And I figured out through process of elimination that if you drank a pot of coffee and two Red Bulls within about 15 minutes, that would replicate the feeling of eight hours of sleep for about four hours. And then you were done. Like you would, I would have about 15 minutes. I could feel the caffeine draining out of my body and I would just fall asleep where I was. Well, I mean, that's it's, there is a science to all this. Like I know when I want to sleep, I will purposely drink an energy drink at about 11 because it gives you that short-term burst. And then at about 1.30, 2 o'clock, you crash. I want to see the doctor who's listening to this right now being like, do you know what you guys have done to your bodies? But it's like, yeah, well, listen, the, it's a it's a carnival and we're playing. We're using the rides. Uh, it's a carnival of souls, which is a great very, kiss, it's uh, a very it, uh, uh, grunge album. Yeah, that was uh, right after revenge where kiss went what's hot again we'll make an, a grunge album and then they i actually would say rightfully so decided to just reunite with the original members and didn't put that album out for years well i think the only reason they put it out was because it started leaking like a not napster but like uh music you know there's so there's a whole dark web of uh tape trading and stuff music like uh bootlegs Going back to that, there was an old shitty mall discussion of however long ago called Lincoln Fields in Ottawa that had an illegal record store in it where you could get bootlegs of like every band that had ever played Ottawa. They had a lot of energy probably because they were drinking Celsius Cola. That's Celsius Cola, not bootlegged. Yes. Can one of my fans take a screenshot of this and send it to Celsius? Erla Maniacs, get out there, run wild. I got John just in frame. Uh, daddy needs to start making some paper. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever told the story on the pod. There was a record store in Westwood, uh, called mayhem. It was an elite. Now I look back, it was an illegal music store. That's where I got all the kiss, uh, uh, posters I have. Cause oh, they shit. were like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think posters were illegal, but they were definitely rare, rare prints. And they had, uh, VHS tapes, uh, you know, from like Kiss, Largo, 79, and they had CDs. And uh, I remember I bought a VHS tape of Kiss and the Mike Douglas show, which was like probably their first big yeah, yeah, yeah. American TV Jeans break. wearing the weird, the cool yeah. skeleton t-shirt. And the, the, yeah. And yeah. they really uh, platform, they weren't necessarily boots, but they were just some bizarre either he made them himself or the these were not john varvedo's boots yeah no they were these weird i know exactly like it literally looks like he didn't he took like sort of plastic bricks right and like glued them to shoes uh they were i mean that's when kiss had no budget uh and i think the guest i mean i forget who the male guest was but the female guest was toady field (laughs) who who was like one of those 70s guests where she's kind of famous like nipsey russell like why is Nipsey Russell famous? Like he wasn't an actor. He was like there were so many celebrities in the seventies who weren't necessarily 
known for anything yeah but they were on all the game show panels it was like that guy with the glasses charles nelson Riley. charles nelson Riley. i can't for the life of me figure it's when people that go to the kardashians do that's that's not a new thing to fame charles nelson Riley. i cannot for the life of me find any evidence that he did anything besides go and the the, the uh the uh, sailor cap and the the ascots oh. uh but at least he was funny uh but I uh, saw Mike Douglas the next day at my dad's country club. Uh, and I'm like, hey, Mr. Douglas, uh, just saw Kiss on your show. Uh, it was awesome. You were really good with Gene Simmons and Tony Field. And uh, I loved it when they sang Firehouse. And he's like, well, how did you see that? Because his show had been canceled, you know, yeah. probably for six, seven years at that time. And I'm like, oh, I got it at this great store in Westwood. Oh, shit. Like, it's awesome. They have all kinds of tapes and CDs and posters and anything you want. They probably have. And I didn't think anything of it. We went our separate ways. And then I get a phone call. You know, I'm assuming he went up to someone in the pro shop and said, who was that kid I was just talking to? Oh, that's Jim Skakel's kid. And Mike Douglas calls my house or my dad's house. Uh, Earl, what was the name of that story again? I'm like, oh, mayhem. Here's the phone number. <laughs> <laughs> and I go down two days later. They had shut down like Mike Douglas didn't fuck oh, around. Yeah. Mike Douglas is going to fucking call in the dogs because when you own your own show, Mike Douglas had some fuck you money and he told the boys at Mayhem to fuck you. Yeah. And then they had a, a sister store in, on the Third Street Promenade that lasted a little longer, but and the Westwood one was like there. You could tell it was their home base. Fuck. And so many great. Uh, I mean, like I have a kiss bootleg uh, of their uh, 84 show in uh, Nashville that sounds like this could have been kiss alive for like it it's off the soundboard it's vinnie vincent uh amazing uh, Eric car it's the non-makeup version and uh it, i mean it it's gene if you're listening which i'm assuming you're not uh, i'll give it to you if you ever come on the podcast um but it was just like crazy that a store like that could exist in the open do you want i uh, this is i'm a weird kiss fan and that i want to believe that gene still likes being in that band and it's not just about the money i think he does because i i think he loves money he strikes me as a type that he, he can never have enough of it and he's uh i think he likes performing he likes attention yeah i know he loves playing in his own solo band because they can uh you know he can just go out there in his cowboy shirt and black skinny jeans and, and with his horrible posture is seahorse I mean, awful posture the hair is another story but you know i, I think i've uh, never seen someone who has dr such visibly dry hair like even if that is a wig but you put some product in it you maniac i don't think he cares like i think i'm gene simmons you're not uh i think paul's probably a little more vain uh like paul looks pretty good oh yeah you look at paul's hair and go okay this looks like it's his hair i don't know if it is or isn't but like and you know he shops at some of the same places i shop so uh pop i assume you're you have a couple of john varvados pieces in the oh, it's my dream to be sponsored by john varvados how it, could we make that happen you know you gotta frankly you gotta be big enough uh in the pocket you know if i start pulling in uh like when i was really high up on the charts before someone ratted me out for a music uh, violation. Yeah, what the fuck happened with that? It was right around when you guys came on. <laughs> yeah, like it happened like it had just happened. I was uh, at one point, I mean, I was in the top 20 on iTunes for a year straight. 
uh, iTunes comedy. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, usually in the top 10, uh, but you fluctuate here mm. and there. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, you're competing with the big boys, Rogan, uh, Marin, Marin uh, Bill Burr, uh, D'Elia, uh, Theo Vaughn's podcast is very popular, Brandon Chobbs. Uh, I'm not getting guests like they are, so I would fluctuate more than they would. Uh and then one afternoon on a Saturday afternoon, I was number one for like 12 hours. Holy um, shit. I, I don't know. You know, people ask me, did you hack in? I'm like, no, I can barely fucking turn my iPad on. You think I'm hacking in? Uh, so who the fucking hack into fucking. Well, they, they can. I mean, like the, there was a controversy on iTunes. Um When uh, a bunch of real estate podcasts, all of a sudden there was like, Six real estate podcasts that were in the top 20 overall. Oh, shit. And I guess it's called Apple Podcasts now. It's not iTunes. Yeah. Uh, um, and they were they, they had hacked in. Um, you know, there's... Uh, I did research on it. Uh, there's, like, these people you can find on, like, the dark web in Bangladesh and Thailand and all these weird exotic foreign places, the UK, that can manipulate uh, your downloads and, and whatnot. Uh, but uh, you certainly can't manipulate iTunes for a year. No. Uh, they're going to, you know, they shut you down after a week or two. So, uh, but someone had, uh, I, I believe, uh, I got an email from uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts about uh, I didn't have the rights to the song I play at the front. Uh, oh, of, fuck. And I do. Um, oh, well, then what the fuck? Well, then it's been a whole uh, thing where they're not very helpful, to be honest with you. They're like, well, we did an investigation. We concluded that you did nothing wrong. And I'm like, well, just put me back on the charts where I was. I don't want anything better. I just want where, I, you know, on a Monday afternoon, I was number eight. Yeah. And then I, I think Tuesday, uh, I checked and I was out of the top 200. Uh, Fuck. And I had never dropped more than, say, maybe 10 spots, which is even hard to drop that much. Mm. Uh, and they're like, well, uh, charting is based on several things. We can't tell you, but it, it's uh, based possibly on, and then they basically told me it's uh, reviews, uh, ratings, uh, cover art, uh, and all these different uh, scenarios. Uh, and it's like, well, it's impossible to fall 192 spots. Yeah, you guys put, took me out of it. It's, yeah, and they're like, so you can manipulate the charts. Yeah, if you, and I'm like, you can look at the records, and they, they're just they've been very unhelpful. So, Fucking Steve Jobs, Earl. I don't even know if it's him. I think it's uh, Bill. What, uh, what who's the new? Uh, I think Steve Jobs has been dead for about a decade, so I yeah. assume it's someone else. So uh, you know, it just sucks because you know, it's like you know. You know, I worked hard to, you know, get actual reviews and uh, it's like they say so many things to me that don't make sense. Like they're like, well, you know, it's based on reviews and five star ratings. And I'm like, well, I've got, I believe, 415 uh, ratings. I've got 200 actual reviews. There's three podcasts right now in the iTunes comedy charts 
that don't have half of those numbers. So it's like that's got nothing to do with it. Do you think that they maybe just really hated the song that you started the show with? Well, it is pure 80s metal cheese. What song is it? It's called uh, My Friend Stevie Rochelle, who has been with me from day one. Uh, is, was nice enough to let me uh, use his so- the tough song T U F F, forever yours. Oh, and it's about you know it's kind yeah. of yeah. You know they were like poison light. Mm-hmm. You know they just got to the party a little late, uh, which yeah. is funny. I did a music podcast today where it was we were the same subject. Uh, although on on the earlier podcast we were talking about Trickster, and uh, oh I don't even know Trickster. Trickster got to the party. Just I saw them open up for Kiss in the San Bernardino uh, Fairgrounds. Uh, I think they popped around ninety one. So there was just party was just about to have the lights turn on fuck on the uh, it's it, the weirdest thing about like hair metal or comedy and comedy same well comedy came back hair metal will not get it everyone's like oh it's a joke and it's like that was fucking it's a fucking popular music and b fucking awesome fucking music that because of grunge or whatever and snobbery does not get the due that it deserves i also think brett michaels going on vh1 looking like a silly boy for a couple of seasons didn't really help the whole thing now if you want to hear the rest of this conversation we've been on facebook live the last okay uh we're gonna cut the facebook live feed we're gonna talk for many more minutes if you want to listen to the rest you got to go to apple podcast itunes comedy inappropriate earl i want you to follow john hastings at john hastings at the john hastings at the john hastings that's h a s t i n g s uh and follow john where's the show again in the uk february 8th and 9th at the soho theater at 7 30 it's in the cabaret space it's a room that i am too big to fill so prove me wrong please buy tickets for the love of christ also what time is it it is time to keep going now yeah. on apple podcast um but, but i mean it's funny I, you could almost say the same thing in stand-up where like i think my favorite example is in the 70s you had uh richard pryor um but there's like eight of them it was like richard pryor george carlin but i'm talking black comics oh black comics oh my god uh, you had i think uh, it was richard pryor and then paul mooney paul mooney and then you had a third who i think is has funny uh by the name of franklin ajai oh yeah the guy who's in deadwood well if i, I never saw deadwood do yourself a favor, my friend. Well, if you've ever seen the movie Car Wash, he was in that. Oh, yeah. He was also in one of my favorite 70s movies of all time, uh, the movie Convoy. And uh, with Ooh, Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Who played the uh, trucker rubber duck. And uh, Burt Young from the Rocky movies was in it. Ernest Borgnine was the evil Eagle sheriff. sheriff. Uh, it was Sam Peckinpah's last movie is and, convoy yeah and i guess he was so fucked up on cocaine that he stayed in this trailer and had james coburn a legendary actor uh direct the rest of the movie or really all of the movie and uh you know peckinpah was in such a wacky state of mind that convoy was really improvised like they no one knew really the script because there there was kind of half finished and and so all the actors uh essentially were improv and they added at the last minute uh, the role of a black trucker who and, uh, who was franklin a jai 
Um, but you know, you it's like trickster getting to the party late. If Franklin Ajay had come out just a few years before prior, he would have been a gigantic. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's only room, especially in the seventies. I mean, nowadays it's a little more open to different minorities and, and sexual orientation comics making it on the mainstream. But back then a black comic. Uh, okay. Yeah. Like Dick Gregory and, and him too. Yeah, basically had to give up because he was vocal about the civil rights movement, which is like, well, shouldn't be. He is a black guy. Like, like, what are you doing? It's oh, it's man, oh man. Although Dick Gregory, I've heard this secondhand, but I hope it's true. We apparently, really got into conspiracy theories late in his life, and one of his big theories was there's two Donald Trumps, and one of them's gay, and I don't know why. But of all the conspiracy theories, I'm like, I want that to be true. I mean, I don't know about that, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, there's some people still think we faked the moon landing. So that blows uh, that legitimately blows my mind where it's like I went. My dad lives in Houston and I went to the Johnson Space Center. If they if they faked the moon landing, they wouldn't give all the tours of that facility where you can see all of the evidence and all the computers. They just wouldn't do it. Well, I mean, I think there was that great movie with the great Orenthal James Simpson. I Simpson? can't even say a double murderer's name correctly. Orenthal James Simpson called Capricorn One, where in that movie they fake the Mars landing, and it's James Brolin. Oh uh, yeah, really good. Uh, it's weird how good O.J. Simpson's film oeuvre is. I mean, I liked him in the Naked Gun movies. He's great in the Naked yeah. Gun movies, and you really can't watch him, especially because he keeps getting hurt all the time in them, and you're like, oh, you did that to your wife. Well, it's just, uh, you know, you, you know, we talked a little bit about, like, Louis C.K., like, can you separate what he's accused of and just look at him as a comic? You know, obviously, O.J. is a much more mm-hmm. horrific example, but, like, you know, pre-1994, he was a good actor. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, you know Jerry Sandusky, great football coach. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's but it's one of those things where I think Sandusky, and it's one of those things I have a, I cannot divorce the art from the artist because I just am like I do something creative. I know it is fueled by my personality, so I'm like I'm not going to give, I'm not going to give my time to the product of toxicity and that's what the, the whole penn state jerry sandusky thing was so fucked because all of the evidence continues to come out that paterno knew and all they got was a bit of a slap on the wrist like what, the, what was usc got the death penalty they got the program taken it was a usc one of the yeah, teams well uh yeah well yeah they got fucked because of reggie bush uh you know uh and Bl- uh not Blaine uh griffin uh Blake, no, uh, Lane Giffen. Uh, <laughs> he, but, but you know, he got messed up. You know, he's looked at not very nicely in terms of the USC lore. You know, you have John Robinson, who's a great coach, and then Pete Carroll, and then you know, Lane Giffen kind of came in and had to deal with Pete Carroll's mess. Mm-hmm. So everyone kind of looks at Lane Giffen, go, he wasn't a good coach. It was like, well, look at what Pete Carroll left him. Yeah, so the same way that people are like, oh, Obama, this and that, and he's like, he had to. De- before he got the job, the entire economy exploded. Like he did, he did all right. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like I mean, I know uh, George Bush uh, Jr. Like maybe not be the most popular guy in the world, but 
you know, you look at 9-11 happened nine months into his watch. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, he had to deal with, you know, Obama, Clinton, his dad's, uh, you know, 90, not to get this into like a 9-11 thing, but like 9-11 was five presidents in the making. Absolutely. Uh, it was a, it was a, it was a foreign policy result that essentially started the first sort of step started right after World War II and carried forward till that moment. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to like start throwing blame at one particular president, it really started with Jimmy Carter funding the uh, Russians to fight the Af Afghanis. Or the uh, Afghan, and then also the Afghanis to fight the Russians. Right. So it started with Carter, and then, you know, uh, George Bush or uh, Reagan didn't really do much uh, in terms of helping heal that er area of the world. And then, you know, George Bush Sr., you know, we invaded Iraq, but didn't finish the job. And then Clinton got that mess. And then Clinton didn't do Clinton had a chance to take out bin Laden. Didn't Obama didn't, uh, you know, he had to come in and, you know, clean up Bush's mess. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I don't think you can ever blame one person for one incident, Absolutely. I guess was the point of that. And I think we're also seeing, you're seeing a real result of, a lack of people's curiosity and a lack of understanding of history that it isn't one person. Nothing is unfortunately nothing is black and white. It takes a long time. And I do hope that the byproduct of the Trump years are people understanding a, the fascinating experiment that is the American government and how little power a president actually has. Oh yeah. And that the power rests in the house and the Senate as was designed like Trump getting power. Everyone was freaking out. I went, well, no, we're now going to see actually, how powerful the house and the senate are and we're living through it like any day now there's tsa may walk off the job if they could do it next tuesday that would be incredibly convenient for me by the way yeah because you'll be i just need to not be in i'll just or i'll have to get somehow get to canada well it's really scary that now i saw a thing last night on the uh, air traffic controllers yeah like uh they're pissed it's like oh, that's just who you want to egg on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the people who are in charge of, but i watch air disasters routinely so that's i'm obsessed with that show. i have i have i have a conquered fear of flying so i have a healthy respect for what you do i will never watch any of those things because i can get that fear back but real see that quick. got my fear that's what got me over my fear of flying get the fuck out of here well, because you start to realize how uh, unlikely a plane crash is going to be. Uh, you know, it, it's like literally one in, you know, 600 million. How uh, many, like, have you been in any bad flights? Have you, like, have you seen a, some shit as it tour? I mean, uh, I've been on a lot of plane flights. Uh, I would say the worst... Uh, Actually, uh, the the last flight I was on, uh, I was going to uh, Alabama. So you fly in, you know, there's no direct flights to Alabama. What? Uh, from L.A. Why the fuck not? Uh, you know, the airport's just, uh, there's probably not enough people going yeah, to I Alabama. So. It, but I, sorry, that's just a holdover of living in London where l everywhere is a direct flight. Oh, no, you can't. Uh, I know, and it's also the hub system of the America. It's a much bigger country. I'm being a snob. Yeah, well, I mean, so you fly into, you can fly into Nashville or you can fly into North Carolina. I guess you could fly into Texas. Uh, but in this particular flight, uh, 
We flew into North Carolina, which I was excited. Oh, I can walk around the airport and see if there's any Ric Flair merchandise. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to get myself a nice yeah. home with a big side of town T-shirt. Yeah, um, but there was no Ric Flair merchandise. Uh, so we're, we get in the plane in North Carolina. To go, it's only like a 40-minute flight to Alabama. And literally just as the plane is starting, um, you tell something was wrong. And uh, the whole plane's started filling up with gas the smell of gasoline and uh the right engine was completely dead and uh i could hear the pilots because we it was such a small plane but we were technically in first class uh you could literally hear the pilots talking to each other going well that was a close one because we were seconds away from taking off and if that would have happened up there well, it would have, if for whatever reason the plane took off, the right engine would have been dead on takeoff. Like, uh, so you're, yeah, so then you're going to, so it would have been, you would have, uh, been heavily tilted to the right. Uh, what, where so. were you going in a puddle jumper to Alabama if you don't like? Well, this was a big plane. I mean, uh, I mean, well, it's like, uh, it wasn't a puddle jumper. It was like a, a fairly oh, like big, it was, it was oh, a just, regular sized plane. Five, just to, from the idea of you being able to hear the pilots, I assumed it was a like a small. Right. Well, I've done that uh, when I was, and I'm not name dropping, but uh, we took uh, when I was playing Vancouver with Rob Schneider. One night we did the Vogue Theater, which is like their big theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we home of to, the Vogue flu, which I'll tell you about when you're done your story. I did not know that. <laughs> I sound like Ed McMahon. Now. <laughs> uh, and then the next night we were in Victoria Island, so we had to take one of those pontoon yeah, planes, yeah, yeah. which freaked me out because. Uh, I'd never been on one, and the pilots have to hold each other's hands. Yeah, to get the... Yeah. And they're yeah. kind of talking to you as they're doing it. And like, I don't need this, man. You guys look look that way. Uh, so, but it was where you, I didn't feel any turbulence in those planes. I got one of those flights coming up in Australia, and I am terrified because I don't... I like flying now. I've gotten over it. But they're literally like, it's going to be the four of you and the pilot, and he'll take you over where the show is and it's like what what well i just you know I, I guess outside of the alabama flight i've never had like i've had some bad turbulence uh but you know you realize no plane has ever gone down in the history of flying from turbulence yeah it doesn't it it's just uncomfortable it doesn't do it yeah so i you know that was really my biggest fear i hate you know no one likes turbulence because you just don't see them coming uh but uh air disasters actually help me no oh, that's great i know i've had a few close i've had one so i think it was, i was a kid but it was like a weird emergency landing and then i had one going to see my dad in new york where the fl the plane dropped out of the sky i can't we're flying along we're about to go into new york and then it was at whatever altitude and then suddenly we dropped like a stone through the weather and i those cross top buildings you see when you fly into Manhattan or fly into New York were so close, like out the window on a side pilot breathlessly went, we're all right. Don't worry about that. That is a normal thing. We hit something or something. I can't remember, but everyone was like, what the fuck? And then we banked super hard and like screeched right into the airport. And then they like on the gate. And then I just remember one of the flight attendants just got off the plane. Like, and I still don't know what happened, but oh, it haunted me forever. I mean, it's it still is like uh, 
fascinating to me how flying works like to take some oh my god it's insane right like just to take an object that weighs tons get it in the air keep it there and and the skill that that takes i don't think pilots get paid enough uh and and you know to me the scary thing is just your life is literally in the hands of so many people you will never meet Mm -hmm. i mean uh, you might say hello to the pilots if they come out but like you know there's the air traffic controllers who are like okay don't go here there's another plane there uh you know you don't really there's so many people and the mechanics on the plane who make sure i mean one bolt on a plane is missing you're fucked Mm -hmm. Uh, so i guess i'm not a control freak but i guess that's like you know i don't even like driving uh passenger side you know oh, especially if you have a car as cool as you do or yeah, like a dodge hellcat yeah meow um the vogue flu by the way is the vogue theater in vancouver very famously has a nightclub bar attachment and uh it's where it's very close to the hotel where they put the visiting team uh when they're playing against uh the vancouver canucks and very often a few players would end up in the vogue theater and the staff would intentionally give them free drinks in the hopes of fucking them up and so in vancouver you always have to watch out for the vogue flu can't remember what team but famously two star players were sick when they were in a uh, visiting team in vancouver because they went and got fucked up and did a bunch of coke with the staff of the vogue theater and couldn't make the game well i was not offered that uh, i did not get the vogue flu different staff when rob schneider is playing there i think well, I did a couple Sedin uh, uh, jokes that didn't go over, you know. Uh, it's yeah. di- wrong side of the country. That's the problem. I just thought it would be funny if I made fun of them not winning the Stanley Cup and like I called them the Sedin sisters and this is like major like. I'm actually surprised they wouldn't go for it because yeah, Vancouver the Sedins. Oh, they're great players. Yeah, yeah. Just like you know that you know like I'm on the Shane Doan roast <laughs> next month in Phoenix, Ooh. and uh, you know it, it's a great uh, George Larocque is going to be on it and. Uh, you know, uh, Shane Doan was, uh, you know, legendary NHL player, mm. 21 years, same team. Uh, but, you know, you never know what jokes could fly. You know, he was friends with John McCain, so, like, do I go down that route? And, you know, it's tough. Yeah, the thing with hockey, like, I always, I always like the unfamous element of hockey players, or it's right. like, you were a professional athlete for 21 years. John Madden didn't call football long enough and people still don't know who the fuck you are. Like there's that. I think that route's always good because they can't really laugh at the fact they're not famous because they all still have McMansions and yeah, I mean, nice, nice wives who have stories about working as the arrow flipper at a used car lot. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Shane Doan really cares how much uh, I make fun of him. He's like, I, my life is good, bro. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like when I made fun of, uh, not Brett Rogers, that's the guy Fedor beat, uh, Aaron Rogers in Montreal for mm. roast battle. It, you know, the line didn't work really, to be honest with you. But uh, he, you could tell he just looked at me like, dude, I'm making $12 million a year. I'm good. Yeah, I don't. Uh, my girlfriend is Olivia Mama at the time. Uh, I'm doing better than you. Go nuts, baby. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but you know, I'm come. I'm coming from like the roast battle world, which is like different than roasting. Yeah, of course. It's also the thing with you know, we also coming at it from comedians who are quietly the most sensitive flowers in the greenhouse. Oh, sure. Like athletes could give a. Do fu- you understand that? Like. Uh, the Tom Brady roast, the problem would be he wouldn't want you to swear, but you could lash out at that guy because he's like, what are you going to do? I've had Bill Belichick a foot away from my face showing me a photo of my mom says, if we don't win this Super Bowl game, I'm going to make sure she's dead before you leave the stadium. Like, th- you can't hurt these guys. 
Yeah, I mean, but some guys... Uh, some guys will surprise you, of course. And this leads me to, uh, before we wrap up, because uh, I know you have a story about this. Uh, like, one night during roast battle, Dennis Rodman was up there. Oh, shit. Yes, yeah, very uh, good. Clearly, uh, I love Dennis because I'm a re- NWO. Uh, and he was respectful. Like, uh, him and Carl Malone, I think, both said, okay, we're not pro wrestlers, but we're going to... we clearly fans. Train for it or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was up at roast battle and I wasn't roasting that night, but I was being the house racist, uh, uh, and I was just ripping into him. Wait, how many times did he come to roast battles? Just that one time. A lot of celebrities went to roast battle once and were like, uh, I don't know if this show's for Then us. it must've happened the same night that something happened to me. He was fucked up. What, like, what year was that? Would you say? I would say three years ago, maybe. Yeah, it may have been the same night. But he was so, but like, like before, because I'm trying to set you up for your story. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He was awesome. Like he got okay. They're making fun of me. I'm clearly on uh, booze or drugs or whatever he was on. Uh, maybe a combo. Uh, and he had a great, great uh, sense of humor about. He it. must have left and then come back. So what Earl is hinting at is I got heckled by Dennis Rodman. So at the roast battles, for those you don't know, if you're listening to this, you probably do know before they actually have the battles, they have about an hour of standups doing spots beforehand, which is a great sort of way to give back to the store. It gives people an opportunity to play that venue that wouldn't awesome. I'd met Brian at just for last year before he threw me on. Dennis Rodman was not being helpful when I was there. He was literally screaming just shit at the audience and odd non sequiturs and no one could get a foothold because a the problem was is a lot of these guys had maybe been doing comedy two three years weren't necessarily you know not road weary but they just didn't understand go after Dennis Rodman. He's just Dennis Rodman. He's he's just a guy. And he just wouldn't shut the fuck up and he was ruining the show. Like there was no one could laugh. Everyone's looking at him and just sort of like going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember at one point going, yeah, 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 yeah. Like while a guy's trying to set up a bit, I walk on stage. I like Earl, I'm a giant wrestling fan and I grew up in the nineties. I don't know a lot. I know a lot about Dennis Rodman and I lit this sucker up and this is where I think it turned is he got on. He got up and when I want to say one thing. And I got fucking scared because Dennis Rodman is drunk and on drugs, allegedly. <laughs> no, I think we could take out the allegedly. But listen, I, I don't want you to get sued. You got a nice couch. I don't want you to lose it in some sort of OJ-related asset for uh, s- seizure. He got on stage, and I was shaking because he grabbed me by the back of the neck like I was a kitten and was just tried to sort of get the energy of the show back of being like, I just want to let everybody know I'm famous. I don't like quoting my own material, but I did grab the mic and yell, no, you used to be famous, Dennis. And that's where it switched because the audience went alive. And I think that he realized, oh, there's, I'm not going to be able to do this the rest of the night and then kind of calm down, whatever, and went back to his seat. But I ran and did another spot and came back and they said, no, Dennis left. Like they were like the two women he was there with then <laughs> yeah. fucked, like we're still there, but then he fucked off into the night. So even then must've come back again. Leading us to say, if you want to see that whole video, I have the audio animated. Just go to, uh, oh, it's actually, I put it up on Instagram last week. So if you go to me on Instagram, it's all there. But it was, yeah, it was one of the most weird, bizarre, mind-altering moments of my life was to have Dennis Rodman grab me by the back of the neck 
and I still had to give him a zinger. Made me very scared. Well, like you just forget, like you and I are big guys. What, what are you? I'm six four. So you're six four. What two hundred or? It's about two twenty, depending on the, when the last time I took a poop. I mean, I'm. Uh... I'm, you know, 6'2", you know, probably 195 at the moment. Like, that's big dude. Yeah. And Dennis Rodman wasn't even really considered that big of a dude. No. Like, and for an NBA player. And he dwarfed me. He was, no, he was, he's, he was taller. But when I got, I, intimidation is a relatively foreign emotion to me because I'm six foot four, And I'm just a big guy. Just people, if they get in my face, I just know. I can walk away. I'm big enough that I'll I can break I can break through the burden. But when he grabbed the back of like he had his hand on my shoulder and it was a it was a grip that I was like, oh, this is a this is problematic. And I was it's a small belly room stage, so it's also you touched his body and it was like a thin layer of fat and then it was concrete. There was no budging this guy. If he wants to rip my head off, my head is getting ripped off. And then they're going to sort it out. And yeah, it's it's crazy. Well, you just don't like. I th- I forget what I said to him, but I think uh, I played it off like, "Oh, I'm a big fan. Uh, you know, I loved you in the NWO. I've always wanted to meet Virgil." <laughs> and uh, you could tell like he didn't. He probably didn't know. Well, I guess Virgil was in the NWO. At the Virgil same was time. absolutely in the NWO. The issue you have in front of you is he was called Vincent in the NWO. Right. But if you're getting that niche into wrestling references, no one's going to enjoy it. So he starts walking over from the judges area to my table, which if you remember the heckler house racist table. Because they've done away with that now. Because I remember that being there when I saw it. And then. Well, after I left, uh, the Saudi prince took over my gig um and he doesn't do it anymore from what i understand so now it's just the judges and moses uh but back in the early days you definitely needed me uh there as like a pressure release valve because you know the first year and a half of roast battle uh people were not coming for the battles uh, because they were bad you might get lucky with one, uh, but you know it's just basically the first year and a half was just open micers who don't have one joke between them, mm. d- you know, just not doing anything but the most generic and basic. You're so fat, blah blah blah, uh, and then you know right before Jeff uh, Ross came on board, the battles were getting a little better week by week. Um, but in that first year and a half, it's me, Moses, and Coach T, the DJ. Because mm-hmm. uh, the Wave hadn't really found their niche yet because it was just rotating casts. Uh, and, uh, Wait, he, so the Wave wasn't originally those three guys? It was No, the Wave, the OG Wave uh, was, uh, he goes by the name of Keith Johnson now, but back then he was Keith Soul, super funny comic, Jack Knight, who had just had a special on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think... Uh, just a random third or fourth pairing group of dudes. And I think Jack Knight's manager was like, dude, you got to get out of this show. Cause <laughs> back then it was crazy. Now I don't oh, want to turn this into a roast battle. No, we won't. But I, I will, I, I will back that up in that it was Dennis Ross. Like the, cause I've done the, the warm up and I've hung out at the show a few times. The vibe in that room was crazy. Cause it was also, it was full at nine o'clock. The roast thing didn't start to like 10 30, 11 or whatever they were. It was Ram to the gills an hour and a bit beforehand. Dennis Rodman is screaming at the comedians. The audience are taking that as an allowance to scream at the comedians. So it was one of those things where it's like, I did what I did because someone had to wrestle the show back and I was coming from the UK where that happened. That shit happens all the time. 
and it is UV the audience, so you got to get it back. There was, yeah, like N-word corner. It was fucking nuts. Well, I mean, I've said this a million times, but like for the newer listeners, in the early days of roast battle, if you had two uh, white comics battling, each one got to say the N-word, and I don't mean GGA. I no, mean yeah. the hard R- E-R, and I mean hard. Uh, I mean, battles were won on comics using it in in their closing joke (laughs) good lord oh it was crazy so this was uh you know and and just wild uh it was really like jerry springer meets uh you know yo mama but much higher level of of joke yeah yeah yeah. uh so he started walking over to me because i you know i did the virgil line and it, it didn't I think he got confused whether I was complimenting him, whether I actually thought he was really Virgil or just the drugs kicked in and he comes over to my table and he sits down on my lap. Holy (laughs) shit. I have this like six foot six, 200 and I don't know what he weighs, 50 pound. Uh, He's so big that he's probably 250 pounds, but he looks like he's 140 because he's... So it's spread out. There's nothing uh, but muscle on this guy. Uh, And I've never been so scared in my life. Because like you said, you know, we're big guys. Yeah. I can handle myself in a fight if I had to. Uh, But like this guy's hand could cover your face. Yeah, and it's... And he's a professional athlete. He's proficient with his body. Yeah, maybe the greatest defensive player in the history of the NBA. I mean, Michael Cooper fans might argue. And Hey, Michael that. Cooper fans, I don't even know who that is, so fuck you. He was an amazing player because he was on the Showtime Lakers, and he was super skinny. I mean, like he looked malnutritioned, <laughs> uh, but he was just relentless. Uh, like he, He'd be the guy that the Lakers say, guard Larry Bird oh okay and he was just super sinewy very you know i'll I'll use what's happening again as a reference but for you older people he looked like roger from what's happening just no muscle tone just looked like a smaller version of minute bowl (laughs) like a six foot four minute bowl oh but he was just he had these really long skinny arms that could get in your like he led the league in steals every year uh uh but you know, Rodman was definitely uh, considered possibly the greatest defense. So it's just to have an athlete of his magnitude and skill level in your lap going one move, this guy could kill me. Yeah. One elbow. If I said anything wrong to him, given his level of, you know, uh, intake of whatever he took that night. He's not going to be holding anything back, even if he wants to, because he's fucked up. And it's not just beer. Like you got to figure like you, I would, I would not want to see you four or five beers in because you're a big guy. It's like, how do we can control John? But you got to figure Rodman's probably on, I'll guess. And I don't think I can get sued by saying this. uh, He might've been on some chemicals that enhance your aggressiveness on his uh, behavior that night. uh, Alcohol, hard alcohol and possibly cocaine. Yeah, uh, I have no proof. Uh, he was very nice to everyone in the room, uh, so I'm not like throwing zingers at him. But like, when you're on drugs and booze like of that level, you got to figure at least four to five hard drinks to get him that fucked up for sure. Uh, and he, and by the way, we're talking at least an hour to two hours between the two incidents. That's the other thing that's crazy about this. So he was he was at a level and maintained a level of comprehension and consciousness, but still was radically fucked up. That's 
That's incredibly difficult and shows a seasoned boozer. And speaking as someone who has, you know, I've attended a few parties that Earl does not imbibe at. You you descend or you ascend. You don't ma- if you're maintaining you are really good at taking drugs and you've taken a lot of them already and now you're bottoming out. Like it was that that that's a new addition to the whole scenario that's crazy. Well, yeah, just because you forget, like, we're used to walking around a com- comedy store tonight or wherever, and you and I will be t- probably two of the bigger guys there. Yeah. And so we feel like kings among the uh, mutants. But you watch an NBA game, none of them look that big because they're all the fucking same size. Yeah, it's the same thing. I have a f- like, I have one friend who's a pro wrestler, and I've met other pro wrestlers, and then you realize size. Then you're like, holy fucking shit. Yeah, like I did a show, uh, thanks to the great Sarah Tiana. Uh, She put me on a show, Dolph Ziggler and Friends. And one of the wrestlers on the show was Damian Sandow, who's really fucking funny. Yeah. Uh, And on TV, he never really looked that big to me. He looked to be about our size. He's probably 6'7". He was probably at least a few inches taller than me and just much more muscular and bigger than me. And that's because now he's the biggest guy in the room. Like he's in the comedy world where it's like, oh my God, I had no idea you were this big. Mm, it, uh, so, uh, you know, thank you, Sarah Tiana, for many things. I owe Sarah thanks. Sarah's great. Met her in Melbourne, Australia. Oh, she's just like the real deal. She laughed at me because I was very hungover one morning. And then her mom came down on the elevator and she said, well, hon, we're going to have two very different days. <laughs> well, follow Sarah Tiana. Follow Sarah Tiana. Great. She's, very funny comedian. A great, uh, great comic and uh, a roast battler of epic proportions. True. And also made me very jealous by saying it was WrestleMania Sunday and I was watching it. And uh, she was like, she was going to do something. She's like, oh, you know, uh, I got invited to go see WrestleMania live because I know Dolph Ziggler. And I was like, hey, Sarah, can you just leave your pleasurable life to yourself? I don't need your, your rubbing it in my nose and the fact you get to go to cool things I want to go to. Well, she took me to go watch Dolph wrestle at the forum like maybe two years ago. And it's back to uh, we went backstage after the show. And like it's like the opposite of Damien being at the comedy store. Now I was backstage at a WWE event and I've never felt so small. Of course. uh, (laughs) Just the worthless (laughs) of my life. I bumped into uh, not Bray Wyatt, Luke Harper. Mm hmm. And he, because he towers over Damien Sando, so he's got to be six nine. He's, uh, I would at the minimum is six seven. I would guess three hundred pounds, but he doesn't look three hundred because everything's like so proportion. Yeah, and he just looks down at me. I'm like, I'm sorry, Mr. Harper, I I didn't really mean anything. And he just looks at me and goes, "Watch it, kid." He was kidding, but like, it was like, "Wow, these yeah. guys are on another planet." All right, John Hastings, Earl Skakel, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I want you guys. I don't know if there's online clips of you, but I just wanted to let the world know that you're kind of a big deal because you've been at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival, the Melbourne Comedy Festival, Just for Laughs. You've told jokes on BBC Radio, Comedy Central, CTV, Australian Comedy Channel, CBC, the Comedy Network, and was also the COCA Comedian of the Year, a Martin Sims Award nominee, and an Amused Moose Comedy Award winner. So 
you thought just getting heckled by Dennis Rodman was his only credit. John's the real deal. Damn right. Uh, become fans of John. He's one of the good guys in this business. Uh, follow his friends Pantelis and the legendary. You talk about a guy who keeps it real and goes rogue. Ba oh, badass. Mike Ward. Holy the great shit. Mike Ward. Uh, once again, I say this a lot. I say it about Tiana. Say it about John. If everyone in the business were like Mike Ward, it'd be a better business. Mm -hmm. So uh, go see John next week in the UK. One more time, plug that show. Seven or February 8th, 9th, 7.30 at the Soho Theater. Uh, go get tickets for that. And if you are in Australia, I will be there in April at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. I'll be at the Sydney Comedy Festival at the end of April. And I'm doing the Melbourne Comedy Roadshow all of May. All of that will be on my website. I love you all. I love Earl Skakel. Keep listening to this show. And his website is thejohnhastings.com and Twitter and Instagram is just at thejohnhastings. Follow him, give him some love. And uh, when you're down in Australia, say hello to another funny dude, the Australian legend of the great Tom Ballard. And Inappropriate Earl is on SoundCloud and iTunes. Leave a review. You you want to get Daddy back on the charts? I'm working on that. But let's be honest. The iTunes algorithm, Apple Podcast, if you will, is based on five-star reviews and uh, reviews. Listen, if you don't think it's a five-star review, give it two. Just leave the fucking review. Uh, but if you do think it's a five-star review, leave a nice. Uh, don't just rate it. Leave a small review. It does help. Just please remember, this is a podcast I don't make $1 on until Celsius starts sponsoring me. Mm -hmm. So I'm it literally, if you're on iTunes, it takes 30 seconds to leave a review. And I'll read your review on air. Inappropriate Earl SoundCloud and iTunes.